back into uh, the book of Acts. Who's excited about the book of Acts? Yeah, yeah. See, I can pump up a crowd, man. You need some, let me give you some lessons. Watch this. Who's excited about the book of Acts? Yeah, see, I did it twice in your face, Philip. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm an idiot. I don't know. A uh, co- couple uh, really quick things before we get back into the book of Acts. Um, we, we got an aftercare program starting. I don't know if you saw the sign out there, the ads on Facebook and stuff. But if you've got a, uh, or if you know of a family that's got kids going to Indy or Millenport, we've got aftercare happening here for them. They can sign up at CampAFA.com. And uh, man, we're just excited to be able to provide something in the community like that. And we're trying it out. And God's, God's going to bless it. He already is blessing it. Uh, Wednesday night at 5.30, we have intercessory prayer. So if you want to come and pray with a group of people, that's what we do on Wednesday nights at 5.30. And then at 6.30, we're going a little bit deeper. Uh, we're going, going a little bit more in depth with the stuff out of the book of Acts here. And uh, this is the story, the book of Acts. This is the story about the Holy Spirit's power in the local church. How the Holy Spirit moved through individuals, but also the main character in the book of Acts is the gospel of Jesus. What was happening? What was going on? And the Holy Spirit is doing something in you that will live beyond you. I've been preaching out of the book of Acts for three years during the summer, and this summer it's coming to an end because we're going to finish the book of Acts. But in every chapter and with every story, this truth and this principle is there. The Holy Spirit is doing something in you that will live beyond you. Will you say that with me? The Holy Spirit is doing something in you. That will live beyond you. Now switch out you with us. The Holy Spirit is doing something in us that will live beyond us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that God's Holy Spirit is with everything we talked about, whatever you're going through in life, that's the soil. Those are the materials that God is using to show himself faithful. Do you really believe that what you're living right now is going to live beyond you? Because the Holy Spirit's working in you. Nobody believes it. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. Each week, there's another story, and it's the same key questions. What's God doing in the story? That's the main reason for the story, by the way, what God's doing. Who am I in the story? We can look at every single story in the book of Acts, and we can look at the characters, and we can ask the question, how, how would I fit into this? Which character would I be most like? We can look at each one of these stories, and we can ask the question, where do we as a church fit in the story of Jesus? Because everybody plays a role in the story of the church and in the story of Jesus. Remember the promise from the very first chapter, but you will receive power, say power, Power. when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That includes the beaches that many of you are at right now. Today, Acts 24, here's the story. Set up for Acts 24, we got to review what happened, and, and what has happened, happened in the chapter before, chapter 23. Paul is going to Jerusalem. Paul is going to worship at Pentecost. He has been warned not to go because he will be arrested. He will be, he will be tried. He will be mocked. He will be beaten. Th- bad things will happen. And Paul said, yeah, the prophecy's true. I'm still going because God told me to go. Paul is there, and he's, he is arrested. He's in Roman, uh, he, he, he's, he's, He's uh, arrested by the Romans. The Jewish Sanhedrin, they are attacking him and interrogating him. The, the Roman centurion, the Roman, uh, uh, the guy over the, the, oh, what's his name? His name is uh, Lysias, I think is his name. 
He's the tribune there in Jerusalem. He's getting ready to torture Paul to find out why everybody is mad at him. And Paul says, wait, I'm a Roman citizen. Is it legal to do that? And it, it's not back in the day. So they sent him to Caesarea to Felix, who is the governor. And Felix is a fantastic name. He's married to a woman named Drusilla. Two great names for your next pets in your home. Felix and Drusilla. It's like a pair of cats, like if anybody would be foolish enough to own cats in their home and welcome the demonic influence of hell itself into your home. Felix and Drusilla. Oh, he's kidding. No, he's not. And I know some of y'all have a problem with that. God's going to heal that in you. Anyway, back to the story. Paul is in front of this governor and a trial begins. The chief priests, the religious leaders have to come all the way from Jerusalem and you can read in chapter 24 about this trial. They bring a trial lawyer named Tertullus. And he just starts out and he accuses Paul of different things. And then Paul answers for himself. And the bottom line comes down to this. Felix, the governor, decides, well, we'll just stall this out for a while. Scripture says because he wasn't sure how this would work out for him politically. And Felix and his wife, Drusilla, who was actually the daughter of King Herod, Felix's third wife, they, they invite Paul in several times to talk about the gospel, and Felix keeps delaying judgment. Now, this all goes on for two whole years. What was happening in your life two years ago? Two whole years. Paul is in custody. He's going back and forth from the governor's chambers to where he's supposed to be. And there, th th this is a straight-up political thing. Felix is known for taking bribes. He's known to be a corrupt dude. And Scripture says it in several places there in Acts 24. Felix was secretly hoping that Paul would give him a bribe. Because Paul had been all over the world bringing money back to Jerusalem for the churches, for the poor. Political trials, delays, stories, no resolution, waiting, another indictment, another thing, another uh, accusation against Paul. Now, I know that we don't live in the first century in Caesarea, but do we know anything about political unrest and waiting and trials and new accusations and everybody have an opinion on what's going on? Is this hitting too close to home for, for 21st century America? Here's one of the big lessons we learned from the Spirit-empowered church. The Spirit-empowered church in these two years did not seem very relevant to everything else that was going on. Everything else that was going on in that society, under Roman rule, everything else that was going on, the church did not seem to be very relevant. In fact, a big principle, the church isn't admired by the world for living rightly and obediently before God. We're not admired as the church for living rightly and obediently before God. You know when we get the most attention? When somebody does something wrong. That's when the church gets the most attention. Or, like in Koshi's case, 
on the other side of the world, when there is a resistance to the gospel and people are persecuted and arrested. That, that's when the watching world is like looking back. See, God's revelation is dismissed far more than it's embraced in the middle of a political trial. The gospel of Jesus has either been attacked or ignored by every civilization on this planet at some point or another. But the church of Jesus has survived, but it's always been a minority. The church of Jesus has always been a minority. Well, I don't know about that, Nate. Christian nation, Christian this, Constantine. You go to the founding fathers, all these different things. Let me tell you something. The church that we're seeing in the book of Acts, the church persecuted, the church enduring, the church with the tongues and the prophecy and all this stuff that we see, the church willing to give up everything and be the church, the church going, the church in the book of Acts, that church. People say, I want a first century church. Really? Have you read about what they went through? That church is always the minority. The spirit-driven church is never statistically significant. It's always on the margins of the mainstream. And this should make us stop and think. If we, the church of Jesus, the spirit-empowered people of Jesus, have it easy in our day-to-day, and we're not facing any persecution for our faith, and we're not facing any kind of resistance to our faith, if our society and culture just considers the church of Jesus to be fine, fitting in, doing their thing, how did we manage to pull off something that neither Jesus nor Paul were able to do? If we are so comfortable, if we are so okay, how did we figure something out that Jesus and Paul both got killed for? How in our culture, in our world, and in our society, did we finally arrive at being accepted? Much less the other Christian communities around the world. How is it that after 2,000 years of rejection, we can assume that celebrity and acceptance is proof of divine approval? It's not. The story in Acts 24 shows us the Apostle Paul on trial, in custody, and in conversation. And I can't help but wonder if Paul is questioning whether he did the right thing by going to Jerusalem or not. I can't help but imagine Paul sitting alone in custody, in chains. I can't help but imagine Paul sitting there going, maybe Agabus back in chapter 23, chapter 22, when he prophesied that, that I would be bound and this, this, and this, and this. Maybe that was a warning to not go. I can't help but wonder if Paul was like doubting at any point. But he's stuck here. The scripture tells us that this back and forth with the governor went on for two years. I can't help but imagine Paul was sitting there at some point going, I could be planting more churches if I hadn't have gone back to Jerusalem. I could be doing this, I could be doing this, I could be doing this if I hadn't have done that. Maybe I missed God. 
you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever felt like you missed God? Have you ever felt like, man, I really thought that God wanted me to do this, and I did this, but I didn't experience blessing. I actually experienced pain. And how, how would I fare being in the Apostle Paul's seat in that jail cell? How would you, how would you do sitting there? Because here's what I know about me, and here's what I know about most of you. Baby, we love instant gratification. <laughs> we, we, really, we really, really like it when things go right. In fact, we like it so much we consider things going right to be normal and anything not going right to be wrong, to be sinful, to be, oh, I must not have followed God, or all oh, If something doesn't happen when we think it should happen, we're tempted to think that we're missing out on God's will. But what if obedience to God requires you to wait? What if obedience to God looks more like patient endurance than it does quick activity? See, we are conditioned in our hedonistic American society to live that best life now. Live, laugh, love. We put signs up in places that we own. To have the best of things. To, we research to find the best. Like we go to a new town. You get on Google Maps or Yelp or TripAdvisor or something. And you look for that best rated restaurant. You know, Some of you don't. And you're missing out. But we look for the best. We look for the good. We look for the this. But what if obedience to God requires you to wait? And waiting is not an easy thing to do. Waiting is counter to everything that we actually do in life if you actually enjoy waiting would you raise your hand so I can see you oh I love the delay I love it when I'm supposed to have an appointment with someone and I'm waiting without any explanation I'm just waiting for them to come out and say they'll see me now I love waiting in waiting rooms for 40 minutes, 50 minutes. I get so much accomplished playing that game on my phone. Man, I remember back in the day, we didn't have streaming for movies. Back when, back, back, way back in the Stone Age when I was growing up, movies would come out at the movie theater, right? We had movie theaters back in that day. And movies would come out in the movie theater, and, 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 and we would wait for it to come out on VHS or DVD or something. It would be like almost a year from the time that thing went out at the movie theater to when we could actually watch it in our home. Now with streaming, you can watch movies that are in the theater in your home. My kids won't know a life where they have to wait a year to see the next sequel to a movie because their parents were, were too cheap to take them on opening night. They will never know what it's like to, to just like not be able to watch the next episode of something because the streaming just has it all there. And if I want to know what happens, I'll just watch the next thing. Here, we don't like to wait. Like, if you like to get behind slow people while you're driving, can I see your hand? Yeah, you're weird, bro. So weird. God bless you. I don't understand that at all. 
You know what I've learned? I've learned, I've actually picked up on this over the past like three or four months. I live out off of Canton Road, and, and just like any other country road around here, you, you kind of just like, you could drive it in your sleep after a while, you know. And what I've found is that instead of going like really, really fast when there's no cars around me, I'll actually drive slower than if there's cars in front of me. It's, it's really weird. Like I was driving on Canton Road just the other day, and, I, and the speed limit in some places is 55 and some is 45, um, at least I think. And I was, I was doing 50. And I looked down, and I'm like, I'm doing 50. I get behind somebody, I'm, like, I can't, I'm trying to get around them at every pass. I need to go 70. I need to go that, like, faster, faster, faster. Like, if we could get the Chick-fil-A drive through people, whoever created that beauty of a system, if we could get those engineers to orchestrate our roads and our life, it would, it, it would, it would be amazing. It wouldn't work on Sunday, but it would be amazing every other day of the week. But what are you waiting on, right? What are you waiting on? And you're just like, oh. Maybe you aren't like Paul. Maybe you're not on trial. But man, maybe you're going through something right now. And maybe it's not for the gospel of Jesus like Paul. Maybe you're just going through something. And you're a follower of Jesus, but you're just going through something. And you're waiting on an answer. You're waiting on a breakthrough. You're waiting for healing to be restored. You're waiting for a relationship to be repaired. You're waiting for that job to finally come through. You've been praying and you've been praying. You're waiting on that kid to turn to Jesus. You've been waiting and you've been waiting and you've been waiting. And I want you to know that God's Spirit empowered Paul in his trial. And that same Spirit empowers you for whatever you're walking through. God is with you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't given up on you. And he doesn't waste his purpose for your life just because you find yourself waiting. There's actually a purpose in this waiting and God's going to do something out of it. You, Paul may not, I guarantee, man, my imagination, it makes me want to guarantee Paul had no idea what each day was going to hold. He had no idea what, what God was going to do in the middle of that trial. But he knew that God had a purpose. So I want you to remember these things while you're waiting. First of all, God is with you. God is with you. Psalm 139, the the writer says things like this. Where can I go where you're not already there? You know me before I do anything. You knew me before I I grew in my mother's womb. I can't escape you, God. That means that in the middle of your trial, in the middle of the thing that's bringing you pain, in the middle of the tears that you're crying right now, He's with you. And sometimes when we're brokenhearted, it feels like God's so far away. That's why in the Psalms it also says, and in Proverbs, and in a couple other places in Scripture, we get this message. God is close to people who have broken hearts. It says God is close to the brokenhearted. I know that the pain and the tears are real. I also believe that God is closer to you than you may realize. God is with you. Here's another thing I want you to remember. God's silence 
is not God's absence. God's silence is not God's absence. If God is with us in the waiting, it is tempting for us because because it's not our nature to wait. It's not our nature to endure. It's not our nature to... And like this is where faith is proven, by the way, is in the waiting. It's our nature to fill the space with something else. And when we feel alone or when we feel like we're just waiting and we're wasting time and God's not showing up, we're drawn to things that would give us comfort. We're drawn to things that just make us feel better. And I get it. Man, I get it. I'm drawn to things that make me feel good. I'm drawn to things that make me not feel pain. But when we feel alone, when we're just hurting, that's, the, that's one of the places where we're most vulnerable to basically do anything to stop the pain, to reach out to anything. And if we feel like God is silent, that feels like all the more reason to do that. I've always loved this quote from C.S. Lewis. A pretty, pretty great Christian author, pretty great thinker. Here's what he says. He says, it would seem, and he's dead now, but I mean, that's him in the black and white there. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And gang, if we are far too easily pleased, we are probably also far too easily despaired. We are probably far too easily despaired. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking in a condescending kind of way. I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to you. And this is real. These are the materials, the soil and the dirt and the humanity. These are the materials that God is using to show himself faithful. And it will build faith in, in me and in you. Paul waited for two years. And even then, at the end of two years, he, he didn't get a resolution. What he got was another governor, a guy named Festus. You may have heard of him before. He was in Adam's family. But look what Paul is doing invited into the governor's chambers to talk about a life believing in Jesus Christ. The highest official in that land outside of Caesar who was over the empire, and by the way, they, they, Jewish people were being occupied. So Felix had all the power of Caesar in that region. Paul is in there being called in to have conversations about his ministry with Felix and his wife Drusilla. Listen here in these verses in, in Acts 24 about how this was going down. A few days later, Felix and his wife Drusilla, say Drusilla, who was Jewish, sent for Paul and listened to him talk about a life of believing in Jesus Christ. I mean, just quickly pause and I'll go right back to the scripture. But imagine if you were called into the leader of our nation's house, with that person and their spouse, and you were being asked questions about your faith, questions about what you preached, questions about what you believed, and they were considering what you had to say. 
As Paul continued to insist, here's what Paul talked about. He didn't go in with like this kind of fantasy world. Paul, what I love about Paul so much is that he just went to the heart of things. Here's what he did. He insisted on right relationships, right relations with God and his people about a life of moral discipline and the coming judgment. Felix felt things getting a little too close for comfort and dismissed him. Because <laughs> you can do that when you're the governor. Oh, judgment. Oh, more discipline. Oh, uh, we'll talk to you later. That's enough for today. I'll call you back when it's convenient. At the same time, he was secretly, Felix was secretly hoping that Paul would offer him a substantial bribe. These conversations were repeated frequently. Was God, Paul, was God with Paul in the waiting? Yes, absolutely. Was Paul visiting and preaching at churches like he had done in the years before? No, he wasn't. Paul's not planting churches. He's not having Holy Ghost revival tent meetings. He's not, he's not, he's not getting his numbers. He's not being successful as a pastor. But he's walking into the governor's chambers, it says, uh, frequently. Yeah, things don't look like they did last year for Paul, but God is with Paul. Do things look like they did last year for you? Maybe not, but God is with you. God hasn't forgotten about you. And I want to I burn this into your heart, that God doesn't waste his purpose for you. In the middle of the waiting, it can feel like a lot of wasted space, wasted time. Why are we waiting? When we know what needs to happen, why are we waiting? I don't understand what's going on. You know what? You don't have to understand the plan to obey and trust God's purpose. Trust God's purpose because he takes whatever comes at you in this life and he brings purpose to that pain. There are some of you who are in this room and you're like, you know what, Nate, this is great and all, but I prayed and I thought the cancer went away, but the cancer didn't go away. I prayed and I fasted and the marriage still ended in divorce. I prayed and I went, I went and, and I worshiped God and I did this and I did this and I did this and that person still died and these things still happen and this is great and all, but I can, I can feel and see the tears in this room right now and all I can tell you is that God is present in your waiting. I, I can't defend God or answer for God. I can't, I can't stand up here and tell you that following this Jesus means that you have no problems for the rest of your life. No, here's the truth. Regardless of what you do, there will be problems in this life. We live in a fallen world with fallen people, and there's problems. Paul was arrested and beat. And if anybody should not have the problems, it should be the guys like that we respect the most. Jesus got killed, Paul, beaten, killed, stoned. No, our heroes had a lot of problems that they had to do. I can't tell you that, 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 that the plans that you have in your heart, the ideas that you have, I can't tell you that those will all happen. I also can't say that those are not God's will. I don't know. What I can tell you is that if you find your purpose in God, there's hope. In the middle of the pain, in the middle of the depression, in the middle of the problems, in the middle of the trials, that there's hope because the purpose is God's purpose. When I align myself with God's purpose, what happens is, is, is that he's in control. That he brings new life. 
that he is the God of resurrection. See, Paul's journey, he started out and he said, I've got to go to Rome, I've got to go to Spain, I've got to get the gospel of Jesus out to the rest of the world, and he still believes that he's going to go to Rome. In fact, Jesus told him in the previous chapter or two that, don't worry, you're going to take this message all the way to Rome. Paul's got this vision and he's got this plan and he's got this idea that God told me this, and currently he is in this place where he is just waiting, waiting waiting in custody reminds me of abraham god said you're going to have a son sarah his wife laughed they waited 10 years and they waited and they waited reminds me of many people in scripture where god said something god anointed david as king and he didn't become king until many years later after he killed a giant, after the current king tried to kill him. And Paul will eventually be executed by Caesar, by Nero. And it feels like a waste. Because we don't see Paul planting more churches throughout the rest of his life. We don't see him preaching in church services or leading revivals. or We don't see another falling at Pentecost like we saw in Acts chapter 2 where Paul's in the middle of it and he's preaching like Peter did and thousands come to follow Jesus in that moment because the Holy Spirit fell in power. We don't see this tongue-talking fame and miracles and healings like we see other places in the book of Acts. And it feels like a waste, but it's not a waste because we're reading this guy's story today. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And a lot of it he wrote while he was in prison. The purpose for Paul was to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to bring the gospel of Jesus to people who weren't Jewish at the time. To spread the gospel of Jesus to everybody who is not Jewish. Quick show of hands. If you're, you would be considered a Gentile in the early world where Paul lived. That means that you were not born of Jewish race and lineage in Israel. Can I see your hand? You better raise it. You weren't born there. You don't know. You weren't. You were born in the U.S. of A. I know, I know my Jewish friends here. Can't, come on, raise your hand. I want to see the hands. Come on. Come on. Look around the room. This is Paul's legacy in front of your eyes. Paul's purpose is shown by all of the hands raised in this room. God's purpose for Paul was never dying, was never dead, was never wasted, it was never pointless. The purpose was being strengthened. And that's the promise. That's your promise. That God's purpose still moves forward even in your waiting. Proverbs 19 says this, Many are the plans in a person's heart. But the Lord's purpose is the one that prevails. Man, you got ideas, you got plans. Back 10, 10, 15 years ago, everybody was writing their 2020 vision plan. How did those go? <laughs> writing your five year business plan, your 20 year life plan. You prayed, maybe your plan didn't happen. Maybe you're in pain. Maybe you're a wreck. Maybe you feel like God's silent and you're just ticked off and frustrated and you don't understand. Let me tell you something. I get it. And, and God gave you feelings to feel, not to ignore. Let me say that again for some of the people in the back. 
God gave you feelings so that you could feel, not so that you could ignore them. Here's what I know about God. I know that, that, that with the feelings and with the frustration and with the anger, I know that he works his plan, that he works his purpose, and he keeps inviting me along. And the more I join him in that purpose, the more I find healing for these feelings, for these frustrations, for the grief. Does it, does it mean that everything's just happy? No. Somebody wise once said that the depth of your grief shows the, 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 the ability of your love. If you find yourself really depressed and really angry or really frustrated or really down, really sad, I want to encourage you. The converse of that is also true. You have the capacity for great love and great hope and great joy. You can still trust in God. You can still obey Him. You can still release control to Him. And I get it. The plans we create don't, in, don't usually involve the pain. Nobody woke up this morning saying, man, I hope I get another migraine today. Nobody's going into this week going, man, I hope it sucks. Nobody's going into this week saying, man, I'm glad that, 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 we're, that we're grieving over that loss. No. But you know what? I don't believe that cancer and migraines and death and these things that happen, I don't believe that those are from God. I believe that's a part of life. But here's what I do believe. I believe that God uses the real pain and the real problems of our life, and he brings purpose to that pain. He takes things that are nasty and ugly and decrepit and, and gritty and harsh and hard. He, he uses the pain in this life, and he brings purpose to that pain. That pain, that failed plan, that waiting that you're in right now, these are the seeds and the planting and the depth and the soil that God will use to bring you closer, to work deeply in you, to bring resurrection power in the middle of a grave. Faith in Jesus isn't just found in the result that you want to happen. Faith is found in your character, who you are, and in the goodness of God. If faith depended on the good things happening, we would all be sunk. But faith requires him and me. The pressures of life, the waiting, it squeezes us like a tube of toothpaste. And what comes out? That's called our character. It's called who we are. And I want to just kind of wrap this chapter together and say some prayers for you. Because weeks and weeks ago, when we were planning and we were praying over this series, actually years ago, I was praying and I felt God telling me, man, you, you need to just preach through the book of Acts during the summer. You need to talk about, as a pastor, you need to pastor and you need to preach. And, I, and, 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 and was it an audible voice? I was just a feeling. I need to preach through Acts. Not only that, we need to preach through Acts and we need to look at who the church is because of what the Holy Spirit's doing. 
We need to be reminded that there's something in us that God's doing that's going to live far beyond us. And we need to be reminded that in each part of the story, there's a character. And there's, a, there, there, there's people that play these roles. And as a church, we are the characters and we are playing these roles. And in our church, there are people who are hurting and there are people who are filled with pain. There are people filled with joy and there are people filled with waiting. Like they've just been waiting. Years ago, when we were just coming through this, I was like, well, i got to preach it all at one time. No, I can't preach 28 weeks in a row. People will get bored. That's just me thinking. All right, we'll do it during the summer. We'll do, we'll do some here, some in 2022. Then we'll finish up in 2023. And for some reason, on July 30th, we come to Acts 24, where we're preaching about the waiting, and we're preaching about the pain, and we're preaching about what God does in the middle of all this. And if you're walking through all of that, isn't that a crazy coincidence? Or maybe God's Holy Spirit wants you to know that you are seen and you are loved. And you are cared for. And you matter. And you are a part of his plan. You are a part of his purpose. And even in the middle of the pain. And the waiting. Your faith is growing roots that just hold on even more. In the middle of the tears. You're being encouraged that it's not all wasted. So I want to pray these prayers over you. Would you stand with me? Just let me pray for a minute. Say, Nate, I'm, I'm in the waiting. I'm in the middle of it. Uh, that is me. Pray for me. If that's you, hands out in front of you, palms facing up. Nate, let's pray right now. In the name of Jesus, God's strong son. There's many of us here that have just been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And we're hurting. We're in pain. And God, you bring healing to pain. You bring strength in the waiting. You bring peace in the middle of turmoil and chaos. Your spirit speaks a different language than the one that we walk around with on this earth. Your spirit speaks in us and through us. And God, I pray your spirit would, would, would bring an encouraging, refreshing spirit-drenched word to us today. You're not alone. He sees you. He knows you. He cares about you. And I pray the strength of God's Holy Spirit to rise up within you. I pray that the, the voice of God would meet you in your prayers in a new way. I pray that the Spirit of God would show itself again and again in power for you. Because if you're not dead, God's not done. If you're walking on this earth and you have a purpose that is aligned with Christ. And there are people here today that say, you know what, Nate? Not only have I can, not only can I understand the waiting and the pain and the stuff that you're talking about, I am far away from Jesus, and man, I need, I need to turn to Jesus today. If that's you and you want to turn to Jesus today, just raise your hand, make eye contact with me. Let me pray for you. Nate, pray for me. I want to turn to Jesus today. Who's that here in the room? Who's that? Just get my attention. Okay. All right. 
Who else? Nate, I'm turning to Jesus today. I see you, dear. Who else? We've got three people. Anybody else? Nate, I need to turn to Jesus today. All right. So everybody praying loudly after me. Dear Jesus, I give my life to you. I surrender to you. Life is full of pain. And you're a God of healing. A God of resurrection. A God of love. A God of strength. And in the middle of this pain, I don't blame you. I turn to you. Heal me, Jesus. I believe you died. I believe you rose from the dead so that I can love you, so that you can love me, so I can serve you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody say amen. Can we give it up to God? Thankful for his goodness. And the three folks who decide to pray that today.